This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to a special episode of the Sky Blues Extra podcast, which is kindly sponsored by Shortland Horn, Coventry's leading estate agents. My name is Tom Ward and I'm joined this evening by David. Evening. Evening, mate. And we're also joined this evening by a very special guest. Our guest this evening started his career at Hartlepool and he had spells at Leighton Orient, York City and Scunthorpe before joining the Sky Blues in 1986. He went on to play 54 games, scoring 13 goals, six of which came in the FA Cup, including arguably the most famous goal in Coventry City's history. I am, of course, talking about Keith Houchin. Evening, Keith. It's a pleasure to have you on the podcast to tell your footballing story. Uh, evening, yes. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, it's good to good to have you on, Keith. Um, I just thought it'd be good to, to go right back to the start, really, and sort of tell our listeners a bit about your sort of time, I guess, before Coventry. So literally going right back to the start, you were born in Middlesbrough, is that right? Yes, yeah, I'm a Middlesbrough lad, born and bred, yes. Um, and just followed the usual route, really. Are you talking about my football career as it started out? Yeah, well, just keen to, a bit, a bit about your sort of upbringing, I guess, before even you got into football. Oh, right. Um, well, born in Middlesbrough, we had, uh, there was five of us, five kids, but I had... Um, and I had three brothers, but we were really we were all rubbish academically, but really good sporting wise. So I was constantly trying to keep up with my big brothers, um, one of which uh, was a runner, uh, athletics and cross countries that sort of thing. He was very good, uh, and my other brother was a swimmer. Um, so I was always really good at all of that kind of thing. Uh, like you say, we're a very sporty family. We did karate and judo and all the stuff you would expect. Um, but the thing I found that I was about 10, 11, 12, trying to find the thing that I could be better than them at. And I um, found that I was actually really good at football and I quite enjoyed it. So that was the thing I set my mind on on being very early on, like I say, about 10-year-old. Uh, yeah. I went to school literally next door to Wearson Park at Middlesbrough, my primary school. So I used to go in and see the players um, at lunch breaks and things. I used to sneak in to see the players in the dressing room and run to the corner shop for them and do errands and stuff. And I just, uh, I remember going on to the, uh, into Essen Park and looking out on the empty stadium and, like I say, seeing these players in the dressing room with all the banter that used to go around and I just quite fancied being a part of something yeah. like that. So I set my hat on um, and that was it. Yeah, I set my hat on being a footballer. Yeah, I can imagine. And I presume you were a Middlesbrough fan then, growing up as a boy? Yes, I was a Borough fan, a big Borough fan. Yeah, I lived about... Um, Five minutes walk from the stadium. Just it was surrounded by terraced street houses in Middlesbrough at the time. 
and you could go in and get a squeeze if you went down in with, with the blokes as they were all queuing up to go in and ask them if you could have a squeeze. There was always somebody that, as he paid, he just got in next to the turnstile with him <laughs> and squeezed in. Brilliant. And we were up at the back behind the goal. Um, and yeah, all of that. I just Because Middlesbrough was one of them old stadiums that had fantastic atmosphere. Really used to come alive on a match day in Middlesbrough. Um, and like I say, all of that, just being, seeing all of that and... and you know, obviously you don't realise when you're setting out. When you're telling everybody you're going to be a footballer, especially your teachers and stuff, um, it, it, you don't realise how hard it's going to be when they say, don't be so daft, son, do something else. You don't realise <laughs> how, how true it could be. Uh, but I got there at the end, yeah. yeah I wouldn't yeah. change any of it either. And um, when you were sort of supporting Borough as a kid and, and maybe even other teams that you watched as well, who, who were some of your heroes that you, you sort of followed and I guess tried to mould yourself on? Uh, the, the thing, what I know it, sound, it, it, it sounds a bit um, preconceived now the way I'm going to say it, but it was always cup finals. Every, we used to get set around <laughs> cup finals. And um, I always remember watching the Leeds teams of the 70s, Eddie Graham, people who's, who I, I speak to, you know, I bump into and speak to these people now. But when I was a kid looking at that and seeing them kinds of cup finals and seeing um, the, the players come out onto the pitch, it was that kind of thing. I never really like idolised a footballer per se. There wasn't anybody that I could have said, I really want to be like him. Yeah. But I really wanted to play on a big occasion, you know, with the... Uh, with the with the suits and all the stuff that we did, I really yeah. be a part of that. Believe it or not, um, right from that very early age, because like the FA Cup used to start at about half past nine in the morning in the old days. You know, you'd get you'd get set in front of the television, and it was the build up to the game from about half past nine in the morning. Yeah, thing. things have changed, haven't they? Really, they've changed. They've changed, man. I mean, football's changed completely. Yeah, um, but I never, you know. It, that's all I could visualise playing at that level. So obviously, when I got started, you know, even as a schoolboy, I was rejected from Crystal Palace. That was my first club as a schoolboy, and then I did an apprenticeship at Chesterfield. And it was only when I that I when I got to Hartlepool and they asked me to sign when I was seventeen that I realised all that lower league football was was what it was. I couldn't believe just how how awful it was to be honest, because it was. <laughs> The stadiums and the changing rooms and the facilities and the training pitches and it was like oh god you know um, but I was I was I was always very very determined and I, I had this vision of where I was going to play what I wanted to be playing um, so kept at it yeah which is you know you finish up naming all the clubs that you did I, I used to get itchy if I wasn't I used to always feel like I needed to be somewhere after a couple of years I wasn't getting there. Um, I'd say, well, I need to move clubs. I'd try again and try again. Um, and then the yeah, Coventry sure. move, I mean, it's a long story, but the Coventry move actually came out of nowhere when I least expected it, when I probably wasn't really trying as hard as I should have been to get there. It came out of nowhere, and there I was at, at Coventry. Yeah, sure. And Keith, you mentioned there about some of the, the clubs that you, you played for, but that journey into becoming a footballer and defying the odds of, of millions, it seems like, especially in these days, and, and the teachers, um, how did that come about? Um, well, I, 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 was, I was actually very good. I, was, you know, I played for, for the town team. Yeah. And I, I was a, when it changed from Yorkshire to Cleveland, I was the first player to play um, from Middlesbrough for Cleveland County. Um, and then we did the trials with the English schoolboys, which I'd never got into, but all the English schoolboys at the time were up at Crystal Palace or were down at Crystal Palace uh, with John Cartwright and Terry Venables and people like that, Malcolm Allison, all in that era. Yeah. Um, so the scout came knocking. I was training with Middlesbrough. I could have, you know, I could have trained with Middlesbrough, obviously. But the scout came knocking at the door to ask me to come to Crystal Palace. So that's what I used to do. I used to get on a train. Um, I mean, I, I remember the first time I went, it was one of the scariest things. I think I was about 12 or 13 year old. And Can dad, imagine, yeah. Dad put me on the train at uh, Darlington um, and the lad was meeting me at King's Cross, so where I'd never been. You can imagine getting off the train at King's Cross in them days. Yeah. Early 70s, whenever. Um, and he wasn't there. Uh, and you didn't have mobiles and all that sort of thing in them days. So I think I found a phone somewhere and rang me dad and he said, well, stay there. 
and a few phone calls, and then they'd been a bit late. They'd been running late or something, and lad picked me up. Uh, so yeah, I used to do that, and I used to travel down with a uh, with another couple of lads, two brothers actually, called John Fenwick and Terry Fenwick. <laughs> Terry went on to play for England. Really yes, of course, yeah. Uh, John was his brother, who was um, a goalkeeper, and we had digs in. We stayed in a hotel. I used to go in. Uh, I used to go down on my holidays and stay in this hotel where all of the um, the old stayed, all the young, all the young lads. And it was people like Vince Hilaire and uh, you know, I'm, I'm going way back here. People probably might not remember a lot of the players I'm going to mention. Vince Hilaire and people like that. Um, and then we used to go, we had digs. The longer it was, so you'd go down your holders and have digs. And I remember John and Terry didn't like their digs, but liked where I was staying. <laughs> so when I got released, I always remember them saying, oh, well, that's great. We're going to get your digs. And they did. <laughs> And was you? Did you always play as an attacker, or did you play any other positions? Never played anywhere else. Always as centre forward. I was a, I was a bit of, I was, I was a dribbler, believe it or not. I was like a bit of a little Billy Wiz with the, or a big yeah. tall Wiz with the ball. I, you know, I was quite good on the ball. Um, and that was the other thing that shocked me when I when I turned professional. When I, you know, Hartlepool signed me, I more or less shot me straight in the side. And. Uh, most of the work we did, and we'd work for hours and hours and hours, and I worked with some great coaches, people like George Smith and Willie Madron, uh, Billy Horner, um, on just looking after myself because I didn't know how to do it. I was just trying to dribble and be clever with the ball, and I was going to these different places and just getting smashed all over the place, literally smashed off the pitch, and I was forever in the treatment room or at the hospital. Um, so we'd work for hours and hours and hours on... Um, solid far, forearms and a solid base and uh, getting your arms up before the defender and just, just being strong over the ball. Um, type of thing where right at the very end of my career, when I was player manager at Hartlepool, I was getting sent off for because the game changed really quickly. And uh, you had spells at Hartlepool, Leighton Orient, York City and Scunthorpe um, yeah. before joining the Sky Blues. Yeah. And you had a good goal scoring record at a lot of these clubs. It must have been an enjoyable time of your career, Keith. Yeah, I mean, uh, um, I, I think I'd scored 65 goals by the time I was 21 at Hartlepool. And I did, you know, I, was near, I had a lot of near misses. It, I mean, because everybody did, it was like an apprenticeship in the old days. You, you very rarely played high up straight away. You played through the leagues. I, you know, in the old fourth division, I was playing against the likes of, I don't know, Ian Rush and Steve Bruce and uh, Cascarino. You know, they were all at Gillingham and Chester and places. So there was a lot of us young kids around who obviously could play higher up than we than we did than we were at the time. We were learning our trade as we went, um, and yeah, I used to get linked with a lot of big clubs and had clubs come in for me for quite a big. That was quite big money at the time. Um, but we, you know, we had an old a real character at Harleypool, a chairman called Vince Barker. He was a lovely fella, but totally unrealistic. He used to get his words mixed up. He used to always go in the paper and say Keith Hodgson's not going anywhere for nutmegs. And I think he meant peanuts, but that used to be like the regular one that he came out with. Um, but yeah, I did enjoy it. And I, like I say, it didn't work out until I got to 21. And um, they tried to sign me. Uh, Ken Knighton and uh, Frank Clark had tried to take me to Sunderland to finish up taking Ali McCoy, strange enough, from St. Johnston. Uh, but when they moved to Leighton Orient, they got sacked at Sunderland, the pair of them, and went to Leighton Orient. So obviously the first thing they did was take me to Leighton Orient. So that was the start of me getting away from Hartlepool and, and you know, slowly learning me trade higher up in the higher up in the leagues. The idea then was to get into the first division, but you know, that didn't work out and I finished up getting relegated, unfortunately. That's what I was saying. I, nobody told me when I started how hard it was gonna to be to get where I wanted to be. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. And obviously through those spells you would have played alongside a number of players. Who were some of the the best players you played alongside in those sort of late late seventies and early eighties? Um, well, when I went to um, Leighton Orient, when I moved from Hartlepool to Leighton Orient, um, I mean, don't forget when I was at uh, Hartlepool, we had the lads coming down from Sunderland, people who'd won FA Cups, likes of uh, Bobby Carr, uh, Bobby Kerr, uh, the Sunderland captain who won the FA Cup in 73, was playing alongside me at Hartlepool. Um, and we had a lot of the ex-Borough players that I used to run errands for, Alan Foggin and Eric McMordian people. And I was, re I, was, I was just really desperate to play higher up. And they always used to pull me aside and say, it'll just happen for you. Just be patient and keep doing what you do and you're doing all the right things. It'll happen for you. So I used to get a lot of that. 
Um, and when I went to Leighton Orient, that was made up out of mostly lads that had played top level and in cup finals. We had uh, our goalkeeper was Mervyn Day. Uh, we had Billy Jennings and people like that up front. Uh, Barry Silkman, midfield. David Peach, who'd won the FA Cup with Southampton. Um, so there was a lot, you know, I played with a lot of players who, who played top level um, and were working their way down. And again, it was always just the same, the same kind of advice he used to say to me, really. Um, but I was just, I wanted to do it as early as possible. You know, I wanted to get there quickly. Um, but by the time I did sign, uh, I've got to say that when I went to York City, that was that was an amazing time because that was like the first time in my career where every time we went out, we won. You know, I went and joined a team that was running away with the old fourth division. Yeah. Uh, with And it was uh, Dennis Smith and Viv Busby who were like the up-and-coming you know, management duo, fantastic coaching sessions and just an amazing dressing room. Um, and, you know, lads there went on to play higher up. You had John Byrne and John McPhail and uh, Gary Ford. So, you know, lads that went on to much bigger and better things. Keith Walwyn used to, you know, had a, his first touch used to land about 20 yards away from him. But if you ever got <laughs> turned and hit it, wherever he was, he would fly in the top corner. Um, so you were asking me earlier about did I always play centre forward? When I first went to York City, uh, Keith Walwyn and John Byrne were getting like 26 goals a season each. Um, and I just couldn't get in. So I had to play centre midfield, which was absolute doddle because all he wanted me to do was follow the player, watch the player and come in the box late. And uh, I finished up top scorer in my first season with 19 goals or 20 goals, I think. Um, so that was a great time. Um, and I, yeah, I was just really lucky with the players I played with. I, just, you know, I wouldn't change any of it, really. Looking back, I mean, like I say, obviously at the time I was chomping at the bit. Yeah, to play higher up. But when I look back on it now, I wouldn't change. I wouldn't change any of it now. And I think it happened probably at the right time. I was ready for it. I was big enough and fit enough and strong enough. Um, and I was able to play at that level. I think where I won, when I did get there. So that was the that was the, the thing about it. And of course, you joined the Sky Blues in 1986, who of course were in the first division at the time. How, yeah. how did the move to the Sky Blues come about? Um. Again, it's a bit of a strange one. Uh, according to John, John and George, well, I was playing, I'd gone to Scunthorpe, as I say, I, I was really like determined to get to that level. And there came a point where I had a lot of clubs I could have chose from. And I went to Scunthorpe, you know, I could have gone to Burnley and different clubs that were playing at that level at the time, Preston. Okay. Um, but Scunthorpe came in and I didn't have to move and they offered me the, the most money. And for the first time ever, I remember saying to my wife, I'm not sure if I'm ever going to get where I want to be, so why don't I just take the money? And I went to Scunthorpe, and I, right on the transfer deadline, I used to drive across from York, um, hated it within a week, said, oh, no, I've made a massive mistake here. I just don't like it. Um, but we played, like, the last five or six games of the season or whatever it was, and then the manager was Frank Clark, um, another a fellow I'd known quite a bit because he was... I did my apprenticeship at Chesterfield and he was in charge of those kids at the time. So he took me to okay. school another reason why I went. Um, and we, he came in after the last game of the season and said, look, we've got two more reserve games to play. And um, we're going to need some of you to play in it, lads, because we just haven't got the players. And I straight away put my hand, I was going on holiday. You used to get a decent holiday in the old days when you played football. You needed it. And I said, well, I'm going to be going away. Let me play in the first one. And he said, yeah, OK, that's fine. And the first one was, uh, it was Coventry City at, um, at the old Scunthorpe ground. Um, right. And um, played really well that night. I think I scored three, two or three. Um, and that's what George and John said prompted them to come in and uh, buy me. Um well, I forget the lad's name who used to be in charge at Leicester. He came in at exactly the same time. Oh, what was his name? The Irish, the Irish manager. Oh, terrible for names now. Uh, Martin O'Neill, maybe? No, no, it was before. It was before him. He, he used to. He was. He tried to take me to Tranmere, and he tried to take me to some other club he'd been at. So the idea was, I was going to drive down for a couple of days. I was going to go to Coventry first, um, meet them, sure. probably have a chat. Uh, his name might come to me before they come before these interviews out, um, and then go over to Leicester and speak to them. Um, but I got to Coventry and they showed me the setup. We stayed at the the Leah Frick, I believe it's student accommodation or something now. 
probably. Motel, yeah. Um, and it, we just loved it. I just loved the setup and everything. I'd look at the Sky Blue connection and stuff, and I, it just felt right. Um, so, yeah, that's how it came about, yeah. And obviously, Scunthorpe said they were, they were as made up as we were, as I was. When Fra- I was remember Frank Barlow saying, you know, here's your chance you've been waiting for. Let's see if you can do it and make the most of it. Brilliant. So, yeah, and Really. You said you said there that it, it felt like a really good fit. When you first came into the club, what did you think of the the rest of the squad? Was there was there anyone that you particularly got on well with very quickly, or was it all a good bunch of, of chaps? Uh, well, yeah, I couldn't single anybody out either way. There was just it was just a really brilliant dressing room. Um, me and Dave Phillips spent a lot of time in the Leafric because obviously we signed together, so we spent you know two or three months in there, and then Dave. Phillips bought a house over at Bubbenall before I got out of there. So I went, I actually moved in with him when he bought his house. And then I finished up buying a house at Bubbenall. Um, but no, no, the dressing room was the most, it was just amazing. It was just brilliant, brilliant, brilliant bunch of lads. Uh, just a great atmosphere. And John and George, you know, whatever anyone talks about tactics and all the rest of it, people get a bit obsessed with tactic, tactics and stuff. The, just the, the, the morale, the, just the way they had us all, Buzzing around, even yeah, you know, the man management. Oh, it was just incredible. The wives all used to get together. The club made sure they did, and if we were doing anything, they were doing something. Um, you know, it's difficult to describe just how how good that that club was at the time. It was just an amazing place to be at. Um, so we were all just full of fun, and you know, but full of grit and full of determination, like you would expect of footballers at that time. Yeah. Um, but when we got on the cup run. Obviously, it was John, John and George that decided we were going to win it long before we ever thought we were going to. That's for sure. Yeah. And what was your um, relationship with with the managers like? That was um, obviously a, a, a fun relationship. Yeah, we all got on. We all got on. We we um, and they did. Yeah, they did things. That, I mean, I thought I'd seen everything by then. Like I said, I'd had a lot of clubs and I played a lot of games by the time I was twenty six. But they do, you know, they just do different things. They'd sit after, like after a match, you'd all, you'd sit you all down in the dressing room, and they'd go through you. They'd give you marks out of ten, like you used to get in the papers, and they, you probably still do. I don't read them like that now, but but they would give you the mark and then explain exactly why you were getting the mark. You know that sort of thing. Um, but like I say, it was the camaraderie and just the fun we had more than anything. He used to, he, he had a habit of calling people good boys and bad boys did John Sillett and you know you can imagine Cyril was always a good boy and big Steve Grozovich was always a good boy and there was a few of us that were always bad boys and I just always wanted him to call me a good boy you know um, so obviously in that cup run I think I got called a good boy quite a bit <laughs> <laughs> and then um, talk us through your first season at Coventry sort of prior to the FA Cup run which obviously yeah. we'll get on to of course in due yeah. course well, it nearly it nearly fell apart straight away. We, we um, I'd I'd been doing a pre. I used to like to do pre season on my own at home before we went back to pre season because in the old days, pre season. You know, I'm, I'm sure they were trying to actually kill you. It's not like uh, they don't train the same now. I'm sure they don't. But it was really really difficult. So I used to like to make sure I was training myself between seasons so that when I went back, I knew it was it was still going to hurt a lot, but maybe it's not hurt quite as much. And I was training on an old airbase in York. I still lived in York at the time. And uh, I'd stood on some glass. And um, I'd stood on this bit of glass and gone to the hospital. And we thought that was the end of it. But unbeknownst to me, the piece of glass had stayed in the bottom of my foot. No way. Wow. Yeah, it was still in there. So when we did come back and start doing all the pre-season and all the, uh, all the stuff, my foot just flared right up. And I finished up in the hospital. They had to drain it and do all sorts of stuff to it. So wow. that was Best start, you know, that yeah. wasn't the greatest start, but I, I still worked really hard, did get back and worked really hard. Um, and I, I, you know, I started the first two games, but then I slid into another old, uh, an old friend of mine, actually, John Lukic, who uh, you, it, I was famous for the penalty, uh, I say famous, people remembered me for the penalty uh, when York knocked Arsenal out of the cup. Oh, yeah, yeah, um, John Lukic, um, who was a lad I knew from Chesterfield, that's a long story. Um, he slid in. We we played. We beat Arsenal at home at Highfield Road, and he slid in and s- s- broke a couple of ribs. 
So it was one of them starts at Coventry where I kept thinking, come on, mate, your foot's gone, you broke ribs, this never happens. This, you know, is this yeah. And then I finished about the side. It finished up with um, Dave Bennett did brilliant just playing alongside Cyril. You know, it came, came about by accident, but they really struck up a really good partnership. So it, it was difficult to actually get into the side then after starting the season. Um, and I think it was only because somebody got injured that I got in I got back in for the uh, for the Man U game, which was the the the, uh, the first big uh, cup win, where we all sort of went, "Wow, we've took a big scalp there. We might do all right this year." You know. You're listening to Sky Blues Extra. Yeah, I was just going to get onto that um, that Man United game actually, and obviously the the FA Cup run, which I think is probably what our listeners are most excited to to hear from you about, because um, that that old, uh, game at Old Trafford, you scored the winner in that game, didn't you, Keith? Yeah, I scored in that game. Yeah, we played. We, we actually played really, really well that day, uh, and should have won. We should have won by more than one. Um, but it was a real. I saw that goal. I don't see a lot of my goals. I saw it the other day on YouTube or something. Somebody showed me, um, and it was a real, real scrambled affair. Uh, ricocheted all over the place and came off the post. I think it hit me on the end of the nose and made my eyes water. I always remember that. Um, <laughs> But we won, we, yeah, we won one nil, and um, we should have won by more. Like I say, we played, we, we did play really well, um, and that might have been the one. I think where John might have said after the game, I think our names on the FA Cup this year. Wow, oh, really? That early on? I think quite early on it was. Yeah, very early on. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, and it built. It was like a big snowball, really. It was. It started to roll. You know, I remember sitting watching the first game when they beat Bolton at home. Uh, I remember Greg Down scored an absolute cracker, left foot fizzed it in. Um, and then I think the Man U game was the next game after that, if I'm right, wasn't it? Was that yeah, I think it's fourth round, yeah. Um, and then and then it, it Stoke. Broke, you know, we had the Stoke match, which was the yeah. let's call that the trickiest match out of all of them. And I and I and I always felt like we got outplayed a little bit that day. And that was the only time, because I think in every game we played in in the FA Cup on the day, we were the better team, we were the most resilient and, you know, we, we played the better football. But in that particular game, I, I always, whether I'm right or wrong, I've never seen it since. But in my mind, I remember, because you see a lot of the game, you know, playing centre-forward, looking back, you, look, you, you know, when you've got no, there's nothing you can do to help when you're looking yeah. back. Um, and I know... I, for a fact, I had I had them down for a couple of pounds. They probably would have got them now with this VAR. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that they should have had. Um, but, you know, we were always going to hit you hard at some stage. Then we were always going to break on you. And uh, Mickey Jim popped up with a great goal. But horrible, horrible, muddy pitch. You couldn't yeah. fall on it. Which was, you know, that's happening nowadays. We used to play on the muddy pitches. That's what I mean about being, you know, fit and resilient, which you had to be. Yeah, definitely. And another one of the great wins in the run was was Sheffield Wednesday. Um, I think you scored two that day as well, didn't you, Keith? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that was an amazing. That, I mean, that was when it really, really started to build, and you knew mm. this special this uh, this special competition where I'd grown up uh, wanting to be involved with. That was when you realised this is how just how special it was, and you know the, the Coventry supporters all the way along the, the motorway, that sort of thing. You know, and the game. I think the game was held up for half an hour or so till they got all the supporters in the ground. Um, amazing stadium in them days, Hillsborough. Absolutely amazing stadium. Uh, I think it was about fifty-three thousand in. Um, and yeah, just you know, we, we we were playing really well. Cyril scored a typical Cyril goal. He burst through. You can still see it in your mind's eye now, can't you? Cyril bursting through and just smashing it in the bottom corner. Yeah. Um, and we were, and you were thinking, here we go. We're on the, you know, this it's happening. You honestly felt like you were walking on air. It was that much frisson and excitement going around that stadium on that day? And then I always remember them scoring, and um, the noise. Obviously, they'd scored, and the noise that came down, and I was like, I'm thinking, oh, oh we could be in a bit of trouble here. Um, but yeah, I was lucky enough to nick a couple of poachers' goals. Really, I chased one down. I think, I think one had on a bit of a mazy. Um, and it got a bit of a deflection as the keeper went down and that turned the game in our favour and then I just chased one down really where you chase a bit of a lost cause and managed to charge it down and uh, hit it first time um, and that, what I remember about that particular goal was obviously we were through um, and I think that was that was taken us into semi-finals I think wasn't it that one 
that was a really special one. Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, I actually scored in front of the Coventry City end, and the I just remember seeing the faces, people crying and laughing and jumping, and uh, yeah, that was amazing. I think I went, you know, just stood in front of them, looking at them, thinking, "Wow, this is magic," you know. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. Picture the scene. All of your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And we recently had uh, Benno on the, the podcast and we, we spoke to him about the Leeds game. Uh, and he, he spoke to us about the, the story about Lloyd McGrath, who was um, getting everyone singing in the dressing yeah, room. Yeah, Do you remember yeah. much about that moment? Yeah, yeah. Because Lloyd, he never used to really say a lot. Unless we got him drunk... And then he, <laughs> we, we used to get him, which we used to do quite often because we, we were big believers in getting drunk and training hard. I think John and George didn't mind that, and we, you know, that's just how it was in the eighties. Of course. Um, but uh, yeah, he was, but he was really quiet and intense, and he just, he, he, he just made his mark by the way that he played. Really, you know, he just got into people. Really, you know, if they had the ball for any length of time, you could guarantee if we were going to get it back, it would be Lloyd. You would have gone crunching in and. You know, yeah. The- but yeah, we started with the old "Here we go, here we go, here we go," and <laughs> we all joined in, and it, everyone in the dressing room was just singing at the top of the voices, you know. Um, and we were just ready again. We were just so ready for the game. It was like walk- walking out for that game um, was like walking on air, really. Um, just the excitement of it all, um, and I and you and you know you could taste it then. You could. In, the, in them days, don't forget, you didn't get to play at Wembley. You, you, the only way you could yeah. play, play in a cup final, that was it. It was the biggest competition. Honestly, it, it's I know. difficult to put it in the words how big a competition the FA Cup was uh, when I was growing up and into the 80s and that, you know. And we were within touching distance by then, so it, we, we were certainly so ready for it. I mean, It was been, a game you scored in as well, Keith, wasn't it, again? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it felt like the game was getting away from us for a spell as well, though, to be honest. They scored. Uh, we were so, I mean, defensively, we were rock solid. You know, if you go through our side with Brian Kilclan and Trevor Peake and me and Cyril picking up as well, I mean, people weren't going to get many, going to score many goals against us from set pieces, you know, from yeah. headers and corners and things. Um, and they did. Uh, I think they almost got another one as well. I think Oggy made an amazing save to keep us in it. Yeah. Uh, and it was one of them where you, you started to, while you're actually playing, you're also worrying. You're thinking, oh, no, it's getting away from us. It's getting away from us. It's getting away from us. It got a little bit like that, you know. Um, and then we just got a goal out of nothing, really. Again, lost cause. Benno chased the lost cause down. Um, they, give a, they give the defender a little bit of stick, but I, I think most people would have done the same thing. Benno just managed to kind of hook his leg round. It was Brendan Ormsby, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, hook his leg round and literally stop it on the line and play it across and I think there was a swing and a miss somebody swung and missed and then Mickey came in and Mickey Jin came in and miss hit it into the turf <laughs> he didn't get it because he had a really clean strike Mickey Jin and he didn't that day he kind of miss hit it into the turf and then it bounced up into the corner um, yeah we've since seen some of the goals in the Masters from, from Mickey so we, we know he can um, finish like a ball. oh god yeah well, he won't get the ball off Mickey when he's, he's like, I used to always say, Mickey, you like them dogs in the park when you take them out the car and they get the ball and that's it, they're off. And <laughs> get it. So, yeah, it? so that was that goal. And then obviously my goal again came out of something and nothing really, a bit of Ricochet's edge of the box. And I went around my old mate, Mervyn, um, and put it in the bottom corner. And I thought we were there then. I think we all did. 
I always remember them. They used to call me Roy because this thing had started to go around about Roy of the Rovers, hadn't it, at the time in the middle of yeah. the <laughs> I can always remember Cyril in particular shouting, Roy, 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 you know. Um, but we thought we were there. Um, and, you know, it was an absolute killer when um, they scored the goal. Like It was like last kick of the game, yeah. almost, wasn't it? Um, but, yeah, like I say, we were very resilient, very fit. We knew we were fit enough to go another half an hour. Yeah. And I'm not sure the Leeds lads even knew there was another half an hour. I'm not sure they didn't think we were going to a replay. Mm. You know, a few of the lads said that afterwards. Um, but, you know, we, we got the goal. Benno got the goal. I nearly got another one, but Mervyn sat, I think Mervyn sat on my effort and it bounced, like, squared out from his backside and there's Benno to tap it in for 3-2. But a great, yeah, wonderful game of football. I mean, it, you know, even if, I, I would have said if you were a neutral and you were really into Yeah, the there's not many neutrals yeah. listening, Keith, but yeah, if there was... Um... Yeah. You're right. It was a it was a, a fantastic yeah, game, and watch a game of football like that now, you'd have to go a long way. Where both teams try to win that much for that long, you know, and they had a bit of everything, didn't they? I think, and they just like I say, the atmosphere and this the stuff that went with it was just just incredible. And then and you, the you you spoke um, obviously earlier about the FA Cup final and how you used to watch it from you know nine o'clock in the morning. How, how did it feel when the whistle went and you knew that you'd be playing in your own cup final? I know, yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's such a long, long time ago, but I don't think I really got my head around that whole cup run uh, until, I'd been, until I was retired and looked back on it properly. I don't think I... I think it carried me along with it. Yeah. That much. And... Especially the day itself, you know, to score the goal that I did and to win the, to win it like we did and everything. I don't think I had the capacity to take it in. I think it was just too much. I think I had to, you know, and then I finished off my career as Keith Houch and the, the FA Cup goal scorer. But when I think about it now, all these years later, I think it took me quite a long time to, to even look back and take it all in properly, to be honest. Yeah, and just thinking, talking about the the final itself. Um, I read a story somewhere. I don't know how true this is about you almost missing the final due to food poisoning. Is that is that yeah. true, Keith? Yeah, I was really ill. Yeah. And and uh, what what was it you ate? Because Jake Finley, Jake Finley used to go fishing all the time, <laughs> and he brought a big trout or something in. I mean, I've always blamed him. It probably had nothing to do with that. I probably had to do with it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I was in bed and. Uh, so the lads all went up to Wembley and trained on the pitch to you know, have a look in the dress, you know, just to get used to the feel of the place and everything. Um, and I never got to do any of that. I mean, the first time I went to Wembley, I was 17. I was a young pro at Harleypool and me and a teammate of mine, Trevor Smith, we got a couple of tickets off the manager. We drove down the M1 and slept in the car um, and went to the game. It was Ipswich Arsenal 1-0. And that was the first time I'd gone to a live one and you know, stood behind the goal and all that sort of thing. So mm. the, the, day, the, the day we turned up for the FA Cup final, coming up Wembley Way in the bus, you know, all the thing that you, were, that you dream about, was my first time. And so I didn't know what, you know, I'd never been inside the place as a player. So going in through the gates with the bus and going into the dressing room and going up and having a look at the pitch with my suit and that was my, my first time in there, in that capacity. And it was everything I imagined it to be. You know, it was just, it was, it was unbelievable. The ghosts of Wembley, I would say I could smell the old ghost. Everybody else that had been there before me, you know. And I was determined to write my name on it as well. And luckily enough, we did, didn't we? Yeah. Well, so did you sort of miss the, miss the night before then when the lads were in Marley? No, no, I didn't miss any of that. No, no, no. You were there for that? I was waiting for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they went down. We, they went down and trained there uh, before we went. And actually, oh, no, before the actually, once we got into uh, cup final mode, I was all no, I was all a part of all of that. Yeah, in, uh, in the hotel. And I was going to say because um, church with a we saw the wedding on the other side, and they came across in the boat. Yeah, no, that was, <laughs> was yeah. That sort of theme, I think it was that sort of thing was always going to happen with us because we were that sort of side. You know, somebody probably shouted across killer or somebody probably shouted you know come on come over here you know i could imagine it yeah and then um, we heard a few stories from benno um about sort of what the lads got up to the night before um in marlow in the hotel what was your account of, of that key what did benno say they got up to <laughs> he mentioned a few beers might have been consumed oh, in the in the hotel yeah, yeah. Always, we always had a few beers yeah yeah always, there was 
no problem with having a few beers on a Friday. Uh, I still can't see the problem. I did it myself when I was managing out. That's all I met. In fact, the ones who didn't want a beer, I made them have a beer. <laughs> but, um, we were, you know, it was a, the excitement and everything. We had a big sit-down meal together um, where, you know, the management and everybody and they said, look, what a massive occasion it is. We got pen. We got um, the gift of a pen from our chairman, um, Mr. Poynton. Um, and it was just anticipation, really. You just wanted to get to Wembley and get your kit on and play in the cup final, really. Um, and I was up, uh, I was awake at about half past four, five o'clock. I was rooming with Dave Phillips. Um, and there was, I, I don't know if you've heard this story, but I looked, I remember looking out the window and it, it was like an like you're getting these days at the moment, you know, with the, just the mist sitting, sitting yeah. above the ground. So I got some kit on and I went out and I just had a jog around the grounds and along the river and uh, around the hotel and stuff and just wondered, you know, wondering what the day was going to bring. Were we going to be... Were we going to be flat out on the turf thinking, oh, we got so close, or was it going to be one of them amazing days? I just remember, you know, having a bit of a daydream and trying to picture what it would be like and that, you know. And then the lads slowly came down for breakfast and we got our sky blue tracksuits on and then, you know, all the stuff that went with Cup Final, like the cameras appeared and, you know, they followed you all the way, they came on the bus. So, you know, all the stuff you would expect, really. But I do remember that hour of just jogging and walking and jogging, just trying to get my mind right for the day. Yeah, I was going to say on that sort of morning when you got up, was it? Did you still feel sort of quite nervous, or were you sort of excited for the game? Or oh yeah, just just wanted to play. Yeah, yeah. Never used to get a, never used to get nervous playing pool. That's one of the things going all the way back to my childhood with my brothers and everything. The, the, the nerves I used to get before cross country runs or eight hundred meter races or anything like other stuff that I used to do. But football, I could always just get ready. I just had an anticipation always when I played football, always. Something I miss now, actually, that anticipation to play a game of football. When I used to do the PA work, where I'd do the stats and things, you could sometimes smell the smell of the dressing room would drift out and the smell of the pitch, and it used to just make you... It's difficult to explain, really. But, uh, no, I never used to get nervous. I used to be filled with anticipation, just wanting to get on with it. And, obviously, it's a cup final, and you 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 know, in your mind, you think this might be the only one you're ever playing and are you going to perform? You just want to perform, really. Yeah, of course. And as it turns out, it was the only one where most of us played in. Um, yeah. and, and we performed. We did, you know, we performed. It's all about performing on the big stage on the day, isn't it? And that's what I remember most about all the lads at Coventry and that team. We, we you know, we performed for each other. You're listening to Sky Blues Extra. Yeah, and we all know what happened, of course, in the game. Um, But it'd be good to hear it from a a player's point of view, especially sort of going behind um, early on in the game. How did that feel? That was the... the, Yeah, and we admitted afterwards, I remember sitting one or two of the lads, and and there was one or two glances around, because it was just a great goal. I mean, they'd scored so many goals that season. They were a wonderful team. Yeah, yeah, of course. They had world-class footballers and the goal the goal itself was so good you know when you like I said to you when you're on when you when you're looking back on these things but the way the movement the way he dropped his shoulder uh, Chris Waddle and whipped it in and then yeah Clive Allen kind of he's kind of taken one step back and two steps forward it's just perfect it, it's the stuff you work on every day for 20 years you know to, to get it right and how to, just things that happen in football if you did the coaching courses or anything and it was just a great goal, and you just thought, "Wow, they, they did that really easily there, and we're good, and we're really strong defensively." Um, and one or two lads did say, "Then, well, eyes of the world's on us here. I wonder, you know, we're not going to get an absolute tank in, are we?" But that was very brief because, you know, like you say, we were back up the other end and having a go at them and scoring within. I think we scored within five minutes, did we? Or yeah, six, or something. And a, yeah. another, a great, you know, ours was a great goal. Ours was a perfectly worked goal. And, I always say, I always say to Beto, <laughs> if you're listening, he doesn't get. He always says to me, "Ouchie, you scored that flipping fantastic dive, and everyone, nobody remembers my goal." <laughs> but it was a fantastic goal, and the, and you, you had to be there with him, looking at it. And he, if he didn't play that right, he wasn't scoring. He had to actually look. He's gone around the keeper and looked yeah. at the defender flying across. And if he didn't play it behind the defender the way that he did deliberately, he wouldn't have scored. He, he would have been smacked off the line. So. And then we were up and running, you know. And like I say, it was I think once we were up and running and in gear and everything was working, 
the way we, the way that we played. It was only like a very solid four four two. Everybody knew exactly what they were doing, what the job was, what we yeah. had to do when we had the ball, when we had to do when we didn't have the ball. Um, there, there would have there would have had to be absolute. I mean, I think they were outstanding on the day. I think both teams yeah. were. Would have had yeah. to be special to beat us. Um, and you know, we came on really strong. The longer the game went on, I think, didn't we? Yeah. And with with half time going in at sort of two one down, yeah, did John? Do you remember anything that the the management staff said on the day? Yeah, well, there was no there was no panicking or anything. It was I mean it was a it was an awful goal to concede. Yeah, yeah. it was a strange goal as well when you look at it now. Yeah. Um, but no, I just I think they were they were pretty pleased. I think they were very pleased with the way that we were playing, and it was just a matter of keep doing what you're doing. You know. Um, Greg, will, Greg Downs will tell you there was a few words to Greg about he wasn't getting close enough and getting stuck into Chris Waddle properly or words to that effect um, so if you yeah. have a look at it if you have a look at it we kick off second half Greg comes through the back of uh, Chris Waddle oh, you can hear it like at the back of the stand and it kind of sets the tone for the second half Greg doing right. that oh, that, was yeah. his, that was his little bollocking if you like um, and we just set the tone and um, off we went. And like I say, it was just a matter of getting the equaliser before anything else, wasn't it? But, uh, and, and I was lucky enough to get it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it and so, it so, was an amazing goal, wasn't it? I think the, I think what, the, the thing is with my goal, I think it was one of the first years where they put cameras into the nets behind the goal and all that sort of thing as well. So it literally got captured from every angle, didn't it? Mm. You know, if you'd rehearsed it, you couldn't have made it look any better, really, could you? Yeah, exactly. No, I think, you know, that that goal, I think it's definitely regarded as one of the, the greatest ever goals scored at Wembley, definitely in a in a cup final. Um, I was just going to ask, sort of, obviously, Benno had the ball on the wing, whips the lovely ball into the box. What what was going through your head at that point? Well, I was trying to get, when you played as two, we always played as two centre-forwards. I mean, a lot of teams play nowadays just with one forward up front and stuff, don't they? But you always played as two centre forwards so if Cyril was at the near post he'd be he'd be bursting to get around to the back post and if I was at the back post I'd be trying to get the near post he was trying to just split the defenders and find a bit of space so I'm, I've obviously gone across near post to, lay, to play the ball out to, to uh, Dave Bennett and then I'm just literally sprinting hell for leather to get I knew I'd lost my I'd lost my marker uh, Richard Goff so I'm just sprinting at the box into the far post and Benno's curled that ball in um, the timing was that there it was in front of me and it was one of them where you throw yourself at it because uh, it's the only way you're going to get to it um, and then I, I was there in, I actually got to it in plenty of time and then it was split second thinking don't miss the target don't miss yeah. the target you know one of them but when I look at the pictures of it now you, you know if you zoom right in you, I'm actually smiling when I'm heading it you know I knew, <laughs> I knew where that ball was going as soon as I got to it yeah and Nick Picker was uh, Nick Picker in, who stood behind me. You can see him screaming at the top of his voice. He's screaming, "Dive, Houchy, dive!" And uh, that's how he greets me. And I played golf with Nick just last week, just the other week. And that's the first thing he always says to me. And the last thing off his text me, he always says, "Dive, <laughs> dive." Brilliant. And then it went, yeah. And it was like I say at the time, it was just a goal. Like, the excitement. I've never seen me react to a goal in the way that I did. Um, just the excitement and everything of scoring a goal, but it was just part of the game. You know, then it was knuckled down. Let's get on with it again. Yeah, um, and you know, was it was it something that was completely spontaneous, or had you practiced it? Had you even thought about it before, or was it just one of those split second decisions that you made? Oh no, it's just a split second. I've I've scored similar goals at, at Hartlepool and mm. places, but. When there's three or four thousand in on a cold January night, it doesn't it doesn't get captured and people don't remember it. Quite yeah, of course. Um, we actually, believe it or not, when we came back for pre-season training, uh, we we had a session. I remember John and George, maybe he's both together, saying we should do a bit of work on this, you know, because that was such a good goal, and we'll we'll do crossing and diving headers. And we were absolutely hopeless. A lot of, I mean, you can imagine trying to get the perfect cross to get a header. To, to, to actually do a diving header and get it on target. Um, we knocked it on the head after about 15 minutes. We said, oh, well, that's a waste of time. We won't bother with that. Because it is. It, I mean, football is really, isn't it? It's a game of... It, it, it is spontaneous. You can do all the coaching and stuff you like. Um, 
But at the end of it all, it's all about intuition and, and split-second reactions and things anyway, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. You know what I mean? And it has to come together right. The, the run at, it's all just perfect timing. Not, not deliberately, but, but the way that it worked, it's just perfect timing. And the cross, you know, Dave's cross has to be absolutely perfect. Yeah. It was the best cross he ever made, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you let him know all the time. <laughs> Um, it obviously proved to be a really important goal as well in the game because obviously we went on to win an extra time. Obviously, yeah. a, a Gary Mabbott own goal. Um, yeah. Just talk us through the, the feeling of, you know when the full time whistle went and you you realised you know what you'd achieved. Well, well, I mean even that goal, you know, I think it was like it was meant to be. I, I can still see to this day. I was just slightly behind Lloyd as he set off down the wing to cross that ball, and then watching it drift, the way that it drifted in over the top of his hand, it shouldn't really have gone in, but it did. And then we were, I remember we were hanging on for three, four, five, six minutes right at the end where you're just praying for the referee to blow the whistle. Um, and then for me, it was like disbelief. I was, I remember just looking up at this. I mean, it was the most beautiful blue sky and the colour that day um, with the sky blue and everything. Um, just, you know, saying to myself, I've just won the FA Cup. Just won the FA Cup. I just won the FA Cup. I remember saying that to myself over and over. It was just amazing, and everybody in that you know everybody stayed in in them days. It was the, going to the Wayne FA Cup final was like it was an event. You didn't yeah. waited to see the team that win it parade the cup. The stadium stayed full; a hundred thousand people stayed in until we paraded the cup, and we got just as big a clap and stuff walking around where the Spurs supporters were as we did in our own bit. You know, it was just yeah, it was just magical. Really, it was just everything that I expected that it was going to be. Um, uh, and more, really, just more. And I think you know, none of us will ever forget it. We, we you know, we, we became part of something really special together. Yeah. And you know, we, we lapsed back. If we if we all got together tomorrow, you lapse back to that time. You you suddenly the pecking order all goes back to the way it was, and you you tend to talk the same and everything. You know, it was just a really really special time for everybody involved, really. Um, and also, as you, you know, like I say, for the supporters, you'll never ever forget the joy of the supporters or the town. I remember the town of Coventry. My God, you know, the, the celebrations were something else. Incredible, wasn't it? There, there was some pretty big celebrations, obviously, with the open top bus, and and that was yeah. that was pretty crazy. But initially, straight after the the game, what was the celebrations like with the with the team and, and the management staff? Well, it's it's quite difficult, really, because. You know, you're in the dressing room and you've got reporters and everything surrounding yeah. you and interviews and then you, you know, so people are drifting off to get changed and then others aren't. And then the, what I always remember about it was they wanted us to do, we, we promised to do an interview with Jimmy Hill and um, yeah, up on the top of the grandstand. And you could only get up there with a really slow lift and few at a time and it took us ages to get up there and it took us ages to film. And do this this interview and what have you. Um, I think Jimmy Greaves was up there as well. Jimmy Greaves and and um, Jimmy Hill. I think we did. Yeah. It yeah. And we were supposed to obviously. So we didn't actually get to see all our families and wives and stuff. Yeah. Wembley, the, the place was gone. I mean, we came out onto the bout onto the gantry right at the top of the stadium after doing this, and the place was de- was deserted. I remember looking down and there was you know when all the litter after a match just blowing around on the pitch and stuff. Yeah. And it's all over, you know. Um, so, yeah. So the first time we really celebrated properly was um, getting on the over to uh, rugby where they were waiting for us in the hotel. Yeah. I always remember what I, I tell one of the things that, that sticks in my mind and when I think of the, of the, the winning the cup and stuff was um, leaving the stadium. Obviously, we were the last ones out of that place and all this rubbish was blowing about and, you know, it was deserted. And Cyril said... Have a look out the back window, lads. And as we turned out, they the, the left the big electronic scoreboard on behind the goal. Klaus. It said Coventry 3, Spurs 2. That was my last glimpse as then we were out and pulling away. So that, so that, that sticks in the mind. Sounds uh, like a memoir from a book, but it just sounds so perfect, Keith. Yeah, but it was. That's exactly what it was, honestly. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, I think we were... Some of the lads were complaining about four in the morning that they'd run out of champagne and they were having drinks. <laughs> you know that sort of thing. You know the usual. <laughs> <laughs> oh. And yeah. then continuing on with with your career, you um, 
obviously there's some goals that our listeners would remember fondly was the winner against uh, rivals Aston Villa Boxing Day 1988 that must have been a nice special goal to score as well yeah I mean yeah I mean it was um, it, it was it was a straight I mean I probably stayed at Coventry a year too I just loved it so much at Coventry but it changed quite quickly and obviously the, the, the club itself got more money so they could bring different players in and and um, the logistics of it all changed a little bit. I think I think the team started to split up quite quickly. I, you know, I remember Nick Pick left and Dave Phillips left, and I went. It, it didn't stay together that long, but I loved the time that I was there. And I, it, you know, it was in and out the side because there was such a competition for places. Um, but yeah, I, I still scored a few goals. I still love playing at Highfield. Well, I still just love being there and being around the connection at the. And just all of the things that went with it, you know, all of that. Um, and like I say, I probably stayed a year too long uh, in the end, but loved every minute of it. It was just fantastic. Yeah, brilliant. And um, you had some spells at uh, Hibernian Port Vale, and you, then you returned to Hartlepool. And then you retired in 97, is that right, Keith? Uh, I think it was about, I've, you know, I've lost track. It was about 96, 97, somewhere like yeah. that. About 20 years, yeah. And it was like a big circle that I did. I went all the way around and all the way up. And yeah. It was great, actually. The, the way my career started uh, enabled me to finish. I mean, I wasn't playing, you know, a lot of players couldn't go play at top level and then go be playing at Hartlepool and stuff for very long. It's very difficult. Um, but it was like a probably a bit of a natural progression for me. I never really intended to go into coaching and management. That just happened by accident. I mean, if it had worked out, it would have been great. But I never really fancied another 20 years of that, to be honest. I think, uh, I think I'd completely had my fill by the time I did finish with the, with the football. And I'd loved every second of it. Yeah. And what have you been doing since you retired, Keith? Not uh, of bits and pieces. I've owned properties at the mills with accommodation for students and stuff like that. I've done, uh, I worked for a lot of years doing the uh, stats, like I say. Cover, I mean, I'm in a. I mean, Yorkshire, where I am, I covered most. I did all the North East, Newcastle, Sunderland, Middlesbrough. I do Bradford and Leeds, and did a lot of York games. And I used to really enjoy that because I'd see all the football at all the different levels and see how they were all doing. Um, that was good. Um, and I've been coaching in primary schools for the last 15, 16 years. I've about four or five. I live in the middle of nowhere in Yorkshire, and I go in the village primary schools coaching football. Brilliant. Um, but obviously, I haven't done any of that since March. I've been cocooned a little bit, really, like yeah. in the country, you know. So it's been a strange time. But no, no, I've had a, I've had a wonderful, wonderful time, wonderful uh, career with the football, and I uh, I I'll probably be called now a full time uh, childminder, a granddad <laughs> childminder. <laughs> I think that would be classed as. There's worse jobs, Keith. Yeah, there is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. Keeps you young. Yeah. And um, what do you make of the Sky Blues' recent rise up the leagues in you know the recent seasons? They've obviously made some big leaps. Yeah, well, it, I mean, they're a top. They were always in my mind when I think of Coventry. I think of a top level football club that should always yeah. be at the top level. Obviously, um, it's been really, really difficult for them. You know, with all the trials and tribulations as regards football grounds. I mean, you know, the Highfield Road has gone now. When I picture them, I picture Highfield Road even though I've been to Rico quite a lot. Um, but yeah, it's difficult. And I think once you start to spiral down, you've got to hit you've got to hit bottom, haven't you? It's like anything, you keep clinging on, but you've got to hit bottom and then bounce back again. And I think that's what they're doing now. I think they're in the middle of slowly bouncing back. Um, I don't think they've had great results this season, but it was all, you know, every time you step up a level, um, it's just that little bit more difficult. You've got to get used to the level that you're playing at. But I'm sure yeah. I mean, I know it's been such a difficult time for the supporters. It must be, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm a Middlesbrough lad, so, you know, we've seen the same thing. I've seen them locked out of Essen Park and I had to lend them the ground at Hartlepool when I was manager to play at. Yeah. So I've seen it at different levels, but you, you, you can get back and you do get back. It's just a matter of, you know, you've just got to keep supporting your team, haven't you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Keith, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast to share your story. Um, I just want to say thank you on behalf of the thousands of Coventry fans for your commitment when playing for this club and also for the incredible memories you created whilst wearing the Sky Blue shirt. Oh, thank you very much. I've got incredible memories myself. Yeah, it's, you know, 
I'll take it with me to my uh, to my grave. I'll never ever ever forget our cup run and our cup final. That's brilliant. Thanks a lot, Keith. And listeners, don't forget to check out our brand new 87 range with the new Silver Regis Sabuto shirt. Thinking perhaps we might have to get a Keith Houchin one out now. Watch this space. Um, but as always, if you want to get involved in the conversation across our social media channels, just use the hashtag SkyBluesExtraPodcast. Thanks for listening to the Sky Blues Extra Podcast. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.